My last week has been challenging as I had a cracked molar that was cracked all the way down to the roots. I don't know if you can see it on, if you're looking on the screen, my cheek, my jaw is still a little, <laughs> a little rough, a little swollen. Um, but it was during this time that, you know, I was trying to eat healthy foods. We all should try to eat healthy foods, right? Uh, and eating raw foods is great, crunchy, wonderful. But boy, even on Mother's Day dinner, I was just gingerly, just barely biting some food, you know, like, here, have some celery or here, have some carrots. And I'm, I want to... I want to crunch it down, but I, I can't. It's hurting so much. So then they extracted my tooth, and now I'm struggling. But I'm, but it's got me thinking about food, you know, raw food. Um, if you search the web, raw is an acronym for real, alive, whole. There's, you know, uncooked, you know, uncooked food. And uh, there's raw restaurants, etc., etc. I just want to think today about our eating habits. Are we eating real, alive, whole food? And I want us to take that theme with us as we think about this today. Because in our missionary journey today with Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, we'll see a group of inquirers in one city who engage a daily diet of scriptures to find out if, if Jesus really is the Messiah. Is this what the Messiah was supposed to be like, like Jesus? And they find out that the word of God offers real, alive, whole, daily meals of scripture. We also hear about another city of scoffers who daily sat around chatting and chewing on the news of the day. And their diet was to kind of chew up the new ideas and spit out the bones. So, as usual, our missionaries are in trouble in a town in Thessalonica. And major pressure was forming against the church that had begun there. And we pick up in Acts chapter 17, verse 10 through 21, it says the brothers, the brothers meaning brothers and sisters, the new church family, and the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, which is well off the path. Um, if Paul was headed to Rome, this is, uh, this is not the excursion he was planning. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. That sounds pretty familiar, right? That's the pattern. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So that's what Luke means by noble here, right? More willing to learn. I'm ready to engage. I want to see if these things were so. So many of them therefore believed with not a few, meaning a lot, of Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. This is very predictable, isn't it? Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Hmm. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, so he's without his team. After having received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So the Bereans here are an example to follow, aren't they? They're the Jewish faithful, right, in, in the synagogue, but with open minds to listen examine and believe. So what was their daily diet? It says they examined it daily, the real, alive, whole meals of scripture. 
We'll come back around to this idea of the daily meal, but I, but I want this image in your mind, and, and forgive me if it's pesky, but if the Lord is my shepherd, we are the sheep, correct? And sheep, how do they eat? They graze. But how often do sheep graze? Uh, well, daily, <laughs> but constantly, right? Just mowing the grass, cruising constantly. They are constantly chewing the real alive, the raw, right? The real alive whole meals. Forgive my pertinence, but some of us church people eat like cold-blooded reptiles in a zoo who only require a meal once a week or twice a month when it's handed to them by the zookeeper. <laughs> I'm your pastor, not your zookeeper. I want to encourage you and, and equip you to daily take in the word, the real, alive, whole, the raw meals of Scripture, and to meditate on it. So we'll, we'll get to some practical application for this, but let's look at the next city, Athens. What were they chewing on, right? It says here, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, waiting for Paul, waiting for Paul, waiting for Silas and Luke and Timothy to come, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, right? That's the normal pattern, but in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be preaching uh, foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We all wish, therefore, to know what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Their daily diet was looking at the new ideas and comparing them against their exalted ancient civilization. They were proud of their ancient wisdom, and new ideas were scoffed at as dangerous especially if they were secret mystery religions, trying to get more converts in their dangerous ways. So let's just go back through that last passage here. So it says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, irritated, stirred up, as he saw that the city was full of idols. Hmm. I wonder if you would be irritated as well. I mean, what do we know that Paul thinks about the worship of idols? Well, he sees it as a consequence of rejecting the one true creator God. In Romans 1, 16 through 32, which I'll read to you, Paul gives his perspective on idolatry. And it's a wonder that his spirit was provoked and that it led to patient reasoning and explanation. We need that example today followers of Christ. Provoked by idolatry, patient with idolaters. Say that with me. Provoked by idolatry, patient with idolaters. Well, why patient? Well, <laughs> idolaters are in a woeful, ruinous situation under the wrath of God. As we'll read, the wrath of God is shown 
in the way he has given them over to their own devices and desires. And, and it's ruining them. The wrath of God is allowing them to ruin themselves. So yes, provoked by idolatry, patient with idolaters. Now, allow me to read the passage to you. Romans 1, 16-32. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, says Paul. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. Does that make, does that make sense? Just to pause for, to make sure we're understanding. They, they reject the worship of God, the creator, who is obvious to them, right? And they actually set up idols to worship a, a man, a beast, an image, a, a reptile, <laughs> a creeping thing. Hmm. So what does God do about that? He zap them. He says, well, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Hmm, here it is. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. And they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Oh, God's turned them over. See, give them over. Uh, it's, it's just going to get worse. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. Again, God giving you up, giving you over to your devices, to your desires, to ruin yourself. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. All these sins that follow after idolatry. It starts with idolatry and then the sins follow. Listen to these. All manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Pause for a moment. Are you noting anything about um, our current society of idolaters? If, if these things come from idolatry, well then let's look at the fruit and go back to what is it that people are worshiping other than God. See what I'm saying? So that's, a, that's how you check to see what someone's worshiping. You check the fruit that's hanging on the tree. 
full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's Romans 1, 16 through 32. Sobering, isn't it? Oh, do we have a heart for idolaters? Could we be provoked by idolatry, but be patient and, and pity those who are idolaters? God have mercy on them. So let me, let me read through again, uh, Acts 17, 16 through 21. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, right? And he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. Okay, let's give a little background. Um, you may know an Epicurean, actually. You may know a Stoic. Um, Tom Wright helps us understand these two groups. He's just a fabulous historian of this time. The Epicureans held that though the gods might well exist, they live in a world of their own entirely separate from the human world. The world inhabited by humans just carries on under its own impetus. Its atoms, seriously, they knew as <laughs> they thought about atoms. The view goes back to the 5th century BC, Democritus. Um, the atoms move to and fro, swerving this way and that, and thereby colliding with one another and producing different effects, different evolving life forms. The Stoics, by contrast, were basically pantheists. God and the world are more or less the same thing. The divine spark of life, the logos, exists within everything. This life consists of a fire or spirit that animates the whole universe that will eventually blaze out in a great moment of conflagration. After that, like the phoenix, the whole world will begin over again, <laughs> and the events will take exactly the same course as before. Tom Wright goes on, wise and virtuous human life then consists in thinking and acting in accordance with the inner logos of the world. Many Stoics, however, of whom Epictetus was a good example, enjoyed a flexible sort of pantheism in which, though they were themselves technically as much a part of the divinity as anything else, they could address the divine being in respectful and grateful worship. So the Epicureans and the Stoics. Anything sound familiar there? <laughs> Had any conversations recently with a modern Epicurean? Maybe uh, full-on bought into the evolutionary theory without a god who's involved, all that kind of stuff. Or a Stoic? No, God's in everything. Hmm. So the Epicureans and Stoics uh, were addressing them. And then some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Literally, Jesus and Anastasis. Jesus and Anastasis, which is the word for resurrection. But maybe they thought he was uh, he was talking about, you know, uh, Jesus and his wife, God, you know, consort uh, Anastasis. So they took him to the Areopagus saying, okay, may, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. 
We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And as I said earlier, they were proud of their ancient wisdom, and new ideas were scoffed at as dangerous, especially if they were a secret mystery religion. So may we know what you're saying, or is this one of those dangerous mystery cults that we can't get into unless we go through an initiation? And they're at the Areopagus, the Ares, the god of war, Pagus, which is hill. <laughs> Ares was also Mars, so that's how we had Mars Hill. A famous court uh, filled with former Athenian city magistrates. When, when a, an archon or a magistrate of Athens would retire, they would take their place in the court here um, in, in sight of the Parthenon, the most famous iconic um, uh, temple to, um, to Athene. Uh, the Athens uh, were so proud of, of their monuments, and this is the, the most proud and most long-standing. The famous trial of Socrates was, was taking place here at the Areopagus, and he was tried and convicted on two counts, one of which was preaching foreign divinities, right? So Paul, this babbler, literally the word is the, the spreading seeds, just kind of everywhere, indiscriminately, like, wow, what is going on, man? Uh, spreading the scraps of wisdom. This seed scatterer was already running into the law and and people are like oh man preaching foreign divinities i'm going to take you to the court um, they need to hear what you have to say so it was a it was a pretty big deal there well and we'll look at this famous encounter next week uh, but but let's just look back at what we've learned as we examine again remember our daily diet we have all kinds of options um, with our daily diet don't we um you know, are, are we grazing on the raw, real, alive, whole food of the word? Are you daily wrestling with the claims of Jesus on your life, like the Bereans? Are you entering the scriptures to find the source of life? Remember, only cold-blooded creatures eat once or twice a month. So what's your daily diet? Are you sipping on gossip and news like the Athenians? or meditating and munching on the word like the Bereans? Are you anchored to the ancient, or are you drifting downstream? I mean, you, you got to know this. Your city is trying to form you into a model citizen. Your phone is trying to form you into a valuable consumer. <laughs> your newsfeed is trying to form you into a worried, anxious, needy consumer. But will you let? the Spirit form you into the image of Jesus? Will we let the Spirit shape us as a church, as the body of Christ? Well, you're, you're likely feeling convicted that your daily diet is lacking in raw, real, alive, whole meals. And I've left some time here to, to offer encouragement along with that conviction. There are ways that we as a church are engaging raw meals daily. And you can share your own ideas as well. We'd love to hear them. But scripture was meant for a community of believers to be read aloud in a community. So it's best done in community. But let's start with some practices for individuals as well. One practice we can just call open Bible. Leave your Bible open by your bed. 
Let it be the last thing on your mind as you read something and fall asleep, and let it be the first thing on your mind. So just leaving your Bible open. You know, closed Bible gathers a lot of dust there, but open Bible. Also, use a Bible app. Um, There's a really famous one that's been around for a really long time just called the Bible app um, by YouVersion. And they have reading plans that that you can go through and like, I just want to get like a taste of Jesus or wisdom literature. Or there's this pastor I really like, um, uh, you know, not me, but, you know, some other pastor. And I like the way they do it. Oh, they have a reading plan. Or or, there's so many options, so many amazing things. The videos to support along, commentary, all sorts of stuff. YouVersion, the Bible app is really great. And they actually have options to support others reading along with you as well. Soaps. Scripture, observation, application, prayer, share. Uh, we, we went through this, uh, and you could go back and listen to the sermon on April 24th. We applied this method, and, and that's even better th- with a group. So if you could just sit down with a group and go through those questions and, and go through that method. Um, I like the phone app called Verses, like scripture, you know, Verses. It replaces the need to uh, <laughs> have all those other phone games for me. Um, and I can hide God's word in my heart as I daily read through them and play games that fill in the blanks, order the verses, the phrases, and meditate and memorize scripture. Right? Here, here are some practices for groups. Even if you can't get to like the Wednesday night small group Bible study at 7 p.m. at the church, um, do this. Real simple. Call a brother or sister in the church or a Christian that you know. Call them each day and read scripture to each other. You could do that. Even if you just had to leave voicemails, you'd have voicemails of scripture to pick up and listen to. Uh, You are also cordially invited to join me in a daily practice through your phone to read, meditate, and reflect back the scripture. Each day I send a video out, invite you to join in and reflect with me on a short passage of scripture through an app you can get for free called Marco Polo. Uh, the groups that I that I have, you know, some of them have really engaged it like directly and have found a beautiful community of daily raw munchers of scripture. <laughs> and we get so much insight reading together. You can't imagine what I get because I've got all these different groups going and I hear that perspective, that perspective all throughout the day. I get this just get washed in scripture. It's so amazing. I can't tell you how much laughter and joy we get out of munching on the meal daily. Okay. So I'd be happy to host two or three of you that, that want to form a little group or I can add you to a group that's already going where we just sit back and reflect, you know, oh, this is a verse that stood out to me. And so you quote it back to the group or this is my takeaway or this is what I need to do about it today. All sorts of ways to respond to scripture. Because we know this, of course, the Sunday meals are great. And, and I encourage you to be involved in church and and step in and hear the scripture explained and do all that. But you don't just put down the fork and skip the rest of the meals during the week just because the feast filled you up, right? No, we graze. We graze. Do you really only eat meals once a week? (laughs) Let's not be, church, those cold-blooded zoo reptiles who can go for weeks without coming on a Sunday to get a meal. Let's graze daily on the word. Okay, so if if you have any excuses why you can't get in the word daily that I haven't covered or you need another idea, I'd love to explore this with you. 
Listen, the idolaters of this world, those who are running after something other than God, need us to be grazing daily on the word as well. It's going to connect us to God. It's going to connect us to each other. But the world of idolaters needs it as well. They need a patient, joy-filled, non-anxious people who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and that, and that we need to turn to no other thing for satisfaction. So church, let's eat real, alive, whole meals of Scripture and work it out. And as the Word is raw, real, alive, and whole, we need to be raw as well. This kind of raw is ready and willing to obey.